Oftentimes, we can get to a place of complacency in the church. We can be very comfortable where we are, but God has challenged us as believers in the body of Christ to step out of our comfort zone and expand His kingdom. This series is about submitting to God's will and vision for the church, being completely dedicated, heart and soul. Everybody good? Good, good, good. Y'all look alive and perky this morning. It's going to be a good morning. Um, very excited about today. Very excited about what we've already seen. We had a husband and wife actually give their lives to the Lord today um, in the first service. It was awesome. And uh, Jesus just continues to amaze me and what he's doing in the hearts of people. And uh, excited about that. Excited to continue this Heart and Soul series today. And um, just uh, as we get into the message, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Um, but first, before we jump in, there's something that I want to do, uh, and uh, it's just something I felt like the Lord put in my heart to do, and I want you, as we go into this new new season of our life as a church, um, and, and we, we really begin to move towards this vision that God's given us of reaching 10,000 people in 10 years, I want you to see some of our leaders um, who are leading this church, who are a part of God's guiding this church and I want you to see them um, just to, just to see their faces, just to see how many people are um, pouring their lives into this ministry um, and into this community to see the things happening that are happening. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out different areas and, and I would like for the area leaders and the team leaders of these areas to come up and they'll stand down at the front and I just want you to see some of the faces of the people who are part of leading this church. This isn't everybody. There's so many people who have put um, uh, their, poured their lives out into the lives of others, but I do want you to see some of these folks. So real quick, I'm going to ask that the babies through kindergarten area and team leaders, if you would, will you just get up out of your seat and just walk down here to the front? Let us uh, recognize you, see you. We're going to give them a clap. Yeah. There's still some coming. Uh, then the first through fifth grade area team leaders, will you come up and let us recognize you? Big, awesome. My wife with little Reed there. Yep. Hey Reed, how you doing, buddy? Um. Our 212 small group leaders, if you're here, will you come down? Let us recognize you and see who you are. Amen. Our guest services area and team leaders, this is parking, greeters, uh, next steps, guest services, prayer team, um, all of those guest services folks, area team leaders, will you come down? Let us recognize you as you serving in these areas. We've got the setup area team and t- area leaders and team leaders, those who get here very, very early in the morning. If you're here, um, I'd like to ask you to come on down as well, and uh, we'll recognize you. Any of those guys left, they got here early. They're now sleeping, so they came at nine. Um, yeah, there's some of them. Production. Production worship area team leaders, the guys who really um, help Sunday morning happen. Um, if you're here, those area team leaders, if you'll come down. If you're already up here, just raise your hand and we'll uh, acknowledge you. Some of these people are duplicates. And so here comes some of these guys who are coming out um, for production worship area team leaders. We can give them a hand for all they do. Another uh, should be a fairly large group are our uh, connect group leaders. If you're a connect group leader, would you come down here 
and let us recognize you as well. The next group of folks is our staff and interns, people I'd spend a lot of time with. If you're here, and you better be, um, come on down. Um, we'll have to talk about that on Monday. But uh, staff and interns, if you'll come down and uh, let us recognize you, and, and uh, thank you for all you do. These, uh, these men and women pour out so much of their lives um, into this ministry. I'm very thankful for them. Uh, and the last group I'm going to ask to come up on the stage, some of them are already standing, but um, I want you to see this group of men, and these are our board of elders. If you're here, I'm going to ask you to come up here and negotiate the wires on the steps. Please don't fall. And uh, come up here, and um, we want to recognize you also. And uh, the reason I want them to come up here uh, is because these are the guys who um, I'm really sub- I've submitted my life to. Um, and this ministry. And these guys are helping lead and guide this church um, in a big way. Uh, every month we meet together. They look at our financial reports. Um, we talk about the church. We talk about any major decisions that are coming up. And uh, they all uh, pour into my life. They, they help keep me accountable. They, they look um, at the ministry as a whole and, and help make decisions prayerfully and thoughtfully as we move forward. Um, and I wanted you to see each of these folks because the thing that we know about these people is that they're, they're heart and soul with this church. And I really want you to see them because I know this about these folks. One is that they love Jesus. They, they truly love Jesus. Two is that um, they love this church and the church not being a building, the church being you. They love you. They want to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's why they do what they do. And three, they love us as, as in my family and they keep me from doing something stupid, right? Um, I don't think any of us are beyond doing something stupid. And so um, especially these guys here, but, but everybody up here um, has a part in the direction of this church and, and how we're going. And, and I'm just very thankful for each one of them. And I was thinking about this. And one of the main reasons I wanted to bring them up is because October is pastor appreciation month. And you know, as a senior pastor, you get more recognition. You get uh, every time we go to a conference, it's always, you know, let's pray for the senior pastor. And it's kind of where I started realizing that like, we need to be, um, appreciating and praying for the other people, right? Who are, who are helping God and lead. And I'm not in this alone. Um, a lot of people say that leadership is lonely. Honestly, I think that's a choice. Um, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who walked this out with me and, and who, um, as we say, you know, would storm hell with water pistols. And so I really wanted to recognize them in appreciation and say thank you for all that you do. Um, and thank you for pouring into the people's lives and for um, loving on folks and allowing Jesus to use you and allowing Jesus to pour his spirit into you and you pour it out into others. And um, just a little token of appreciation. It may end up under their seat with the French fry cartons, but... Um, it's a journal that we got made, and uh, it just says heart and soul on the front. And I wanted to give them something just as a token of appreciation. Some of them got them at 9 o'clock. Um, don't get two. Um, we appreciate you, but not that much. So just get one. And then, uh, But we are very thankful for them and just wanted to recognize you. There's some of you who you pour out so much, and, uh, and we just greatly appreciate that. So... I thought it was appropriate during uh, Pastor Appreciation Month and also a Heart and Soul series to recognize all these people who are pouring their lives out into the lives of others. So let's give them one more hand as they go back to their seats and just thank them. The next thing I want to just bring to your attention, then we're going to jump into the message, 
is on your announcement card. There is at the very top, it says my one in one commitment. And you can read about that um, there. What we're asking you to do is take this card home. This is perforated. You can tear it off. You can take it with you if you don't want to take the whole announcement card. I would encourage you to take the whole announcement card, read the scriptures and things on the back. But take this part. We were asking you to go home and pray about what God would have you give to the one in one project. We talked last week about how that one in one jar, that, that jar is the one that's going to fill all the other jars. Um, and we believe that that's the key that unlocks everything. And so we're asking you to go home and pray. What would God have you to give towards this one in one? What would you commit to give over the next 24 months? You can break it up uh, monthly, yearly, weekly, whatever. But whatever God leads you to do, we're asking you to pray about that. Not just to put something down, pray about it. See what the Lord would have you do. Um, we want to be a church that follows the leading of God, um, not just um, what we think. And so just pray, ask God. And then what we're going to do is ask you to fill this out on November the 17th. We're celebrating our five year anniversary and and we're going to come that day and have a special offering where you can bring this commitment card up to the front, drop it in a basket or bucket. And, and then we're going to take that and we're going to be faithful to it as we see God fill up this one in one jar, um, as we talked about last week. And as we see God, um, begin to fulfill this mission and this vision that he's given us. So just take it, pray about it, fill it out, bring it back on the 17th. So the 17th is going to be an awesome day. We're going to, um, celebrate and worship what God's done for, for what he's done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. We're going to bring our offering and this commitment card to the front. And we're also going to have baptisms that day. So it's going to be an awesome day. Plan to be here on that day. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. Just be there. So pray about what God would have you do. All right. It's a lot of talking. Let's get into the message. First Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 17. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18, and then we're going to get going. I'm going to pray after that, and then we will jump in. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. There was a lot of disunity. There was a lot of, honestly, just fleshly things going on in the church. And he's really bringing them back to what's important, what really matters. And that's the gospel and that's Jesus. So he says this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the cross, God, even though the world may look at it and and, and claim it foolish, God, we look at it and we realize it is your power that saves God. For those of us who are being saved, we recognize that power at work in us. And we thank you for the spirit of God that has been deposited into our hearts that is a, 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 a foretaste of what is to come. And we thank you for that. And we rejoice in that. God, I pray your word would be powerful and it would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, last week we had that huge Sunday where we announced this new vision and uh, we talked about what's coming up and where we're going as a church. And, and we talked about the vision of reaching 10,000 people in 10 years. And, and here's the thing that, that typically happens because big vision is easy to, to cast. It's easy to talk about. But the more difficult thing and the thing that requires a greater amount of faith are all the little steps it takes to fulfill the vision, right? And so on Monday morning, when most of you were getting up and going to work or going to class, I was at home reading my Bible going, oh my gosh, All right? I was thinking, oh my gosh. I was thinking, whoo, this is, this is, this is really big. And God, I feel a little bit foolish at this point. I feel God like, um, 
did we bite off more than we can chew at this point? I'm just being very honest. I wish I could say, yeah, like we got this covered. No problem at all. Like we should go ahead and make it 20. Right. But the reality of it is I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking about this. And then last night I'm reading my Bible and the Lord really brought this scripture back to mind. And I, and I started thinking about it and I started thinking about what our church was founded on and, and what, what God put in our hearts to begin with. And I started realizing and just, just thinking again about how everything we've done to some degree has been foolish, right? Just the thought of starting a church that are in a place where there was already about 120 churches, just the thought of, of, of how we started, um, it, it was really foolish. But here's the thing I've come to realize and the thing that, that we can't get away from is that we'll never do anything for God unless we're willing to be foolish at times. There's never been anyone in scripture, there's never been anyone in the world who did anything for God that they weren't at times challenged with this thought of this is just foolish. And Paul even comes back and brings it back to the message that we believe. He even brings it back to this gospel that the world looks at and says is foolish and we look at it and says, no, that's the power to save. And this is the thing I want you to hear is I want you to hear that we cannot ever become a church that becomes so comfortable, that becomes so content that we quit being willing to do foolish things for God. That God has not called us to play it safe. He's called us to be willing to take these steps of faith and to trust him. I mean, you think about all the foolish steps of faith that people have taken throughout the history of the world for God. You go back and you think about Noah who built a boat and it had not ever rained, but God said, I'm going to flood the earth. People thought he was nuts. They had to. You think about Joshua leading the Israelites across the Jordan River, not just crossing the river, but also getting over there. And then God saying, I want you to go walk around Jericho seven times. The walls will fall down. Everything will be good. They had to feel foolish, right? Think about King David, who'd always been a shepherd boy. And yet when God called him, he went and he fought Goliath. There had to be something in the back of his mind. We look at him as superhuman, but they were human beings. There had to be something in his mind, even though he had killed the lion, even though he had killed the bear, even though he had done all those things, he had to look across at this huge man and go, this is kind of foolish. And yet God uses people who are willing to become foolish for his glory. And God uses a message that many people look at and look at it and say that it is foolish. He uses it to transform lives because it is the power of God. And the reality of it for our church and one of the most dangerous things for any church and one of the most dangerous things and most devastating things that happens to churches is that we think we can become so smart that we don't need the power of God any longer. And there are people in here today, you've been walking with God for a while and you've known the power of God, but in some way you've sort of just settled where you are. And yet God would have you to continue to press into him, not becoming stagnant, not just becoming content, not becoming complacent, but to pursue him so that he can once again fill you with his power. So that he can once again fill you with the power of his spirit so that then you can go out and pour that out into a community, into your workplace, into your school, wherever you are. So that that power begins to resonate in the hearts of other people and other people begin to come to him. I think many times the reason that we become just a little bit stale in our relationship with God is because we're not willing to continue to take those steps of faith. And yet God calls us to take steps of faith. When we begin to look at it and say, look, 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 God, I'm willing to look foolish if it means having more of you. Then we'll take those steps of faith. But we have to get to this point where we realize it is all about 
the gospel. It's all about pursuing him. It's all about whatever it takes, God. I'll take that step of faith. No matter what others see it as, no matter what I even in the back of my mind, there are objections to. I know in my heart that you're leading me and I'm willing to take that step of faith to follow you. We've seen, I've seen it with our own staff. We had one of our staff members who, she's a genius. And yet God told her, get out of the master's program. You're not going to be in this profession you're headed towards. You're actually going to be working in a church and go back and get a totally different degree. And it wasn't easy for her to take that step, but she knew it was from the Lord. I can't tell you there weren't days that we didn't have to talk about it and walk through it, but she knew. And now on the other side, she looks back and she's like, thank God I took that step of faith. It seemed foolish to many people at the time, but now we look at it and it was to the glory of God that she took that step of faith. I wonder how many of you in here today, you know, there's something that God's been leading you to do. You know, there's something in you that God's telling you to take a step of faith. You know that God's telling you to get rid of this or get that, begin to do this, don't do that. And yet you worry how other people are going to perceive it and what they're going to think. And all the while you're the one being robbed of the power of God in your life because you simply won't take that step of faith. My encouragement to you today is to trust God, seek godly counsel, seek wisdom from godly people who hear the Lord and trust their heart, trust God's heart and follow him. Even when it seems a little foolish. We follow. I can tell you this right now. You would not be sitting here today if it had not been for what many people perceive to be foolish steps of faith. There was a couple who gave their life to Jesus this morning who would not have had that opportunity had it not been for foolish steps of faith. God calls us to be willing to look foolish. And as I read this, as I look at Verse 17, I was reminded that we are called church to preach the gospel. That's what Paul says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's reminding, this is what I came for, to proclaim the gospel. And we as a church, we were put here to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel. We have people all the time. Well, I don't go to that church. All they do is preach the gospel. I'm like, what else do you want us to preach? Is there any better thing to preach under the sun other than the gospel? Would you rather me preach out of, you know, Dr. Seuss and the cat in the hat, what would you rather me tell you other than the good news that you were dead in your sin, but because Jesus took your sin, was punished for your sin, was raised to life, defeating death forever, that God's spirit's now been imparted into you, that you now become a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit and that you'll rule and reign with God forever. Is there any better news than that? No. That's what we're called to proclaim. That is what we proclaim. This church has been called to proclaim and preach the gospel, whether it's in the parking lot or whether it's at the pulpit, from the parking lot to the pulpit, we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming the love of Jesus and we're watching God do incredible things, not because of who we are and what we do, but because of who Jesus is and what he does. Listen to this in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Here's one of the things we need to realize is that it's the message of Jesus that saves people. Not our, not our programs, not the things we do. Those programs and those systems and those things that we put in place, those are just avenues for the Holy Spirit to move, for the power of Jesus to move. It's not our programs that save people. It's the gospel. It's the power of Jesus that saves people. Listen, churches in the United States are not declining because we have a lack of programs. Churches in the United States are declining because we have a lack of the power of God. 
We put so much into what we can think up, what we can dream up, what we can do. And that's not all bad when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But if we get away thinking that somehow we can just accomplish this through creating some other program, man, listen, it ain't going to work. I remember a friend of mine who is a African missionary. Um, he goes over to Africa as, as a missionary and he brought his translator um, with him back to the United States. And they were riding around one day going to different churches, just speaking with different people. And he said, this, this, his, his translator, he said he always spoke and what he spoke like was this, just with this real rough voice. And he said he, he sounded like he had swallowed a green pine cone. You know what I mean? Just scratched his voice all up. And so he said they're riding along and they ride by this old dilapidated tobacco barn. And his translator looks at him and he goes, Pastor John, I can't really do it well, but he says, Pastor John, he said, that would make a great church. And he said, brother, you couldn't get nobody in the United States to go in there for church. And he said, Pastor John, if the spirit of God was there, they would go there. And he's like, just serious as it could be, because he knew that there's something so powerful about God's presence, about God's spirit, about God being in a place. We walk in here today, Matt spoke about it. We walk in here on Sunday mornings, we should come expecting to meet God. When we open our Bibles, we should expect to hear from the Lord. When we go to God in prayer, we should expect to encounter him. God's spirit, he desires that we would meet with him. There's something powerful about the spirit of God that draws people to or draws us to him. Listen, it's not just something that sounds good in a message. It's something that we have seen. We saw it from my house to a pond house, to a blue building, to an auditorium. We saw that no matter if we had these lights and and all this sound stuff, or if we had a MacBook Pro, it didn't matter what was leading the worship. It was all about the one we were worshiping. And it's a realization that if we'll be people who press into God and allow the power of God to flow through us, not just on Sunday morning, but in our workplace, in our school, wherever we are at Walmart, if you can live like a Christian at Walmart, you can live like a Christian anywhere, right? At the ballpark, wherever we are, that we're allowing the power of God to work in our lives. That's how we transform a community. It's not just having a good worship service. It's about us going out from this place filled with the power of God, proclaiming a message that's foolishness to the world, but also a message that still has the power of God that transforms lives and hearts. And we proclaim this message as God's people, as his children, this message of Jesus who saves people. Listen to this. It says, for it is written in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, or since in the wisdom, speaking of not intelligent, I can't even read. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The next thing I would tell you is that it's God that saves people, not our own wisdom. We try to invent ways of, 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 of reaching people. And here's the reality. If we don't preach the gospel, people don't come to know Christ. This is the bottom line. And the world looks at this message and says it's foolish. The world looks at this message and says we're foolish. 
And yet we know those who have received this message, those who've heard it with the ears of faith, those who've seen Christ with eyes of faith, know that this message changes your life. We know that we're never the same again. But we can't get to a place where we rely so much on our own wisdom that we begin to get away from the gospel. I'm all for programs. I'm all for systems. But if they're not infused with the message of the gospel and the power of the spirit, they may draw a crowd, but they do not change hearts. We need to be a church that is crying out to God. God, give us your power. God, give us godly wisdom. But let it always be that we follow you and your spirit in everything we do. Don't let us just become a church that just does things. We may be busy, but it doesn't mean we're effective. Let us always be people pursuing and chasing after you. Verse 22 and 20 through 24, it says this, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. This is something that the Jews and Greeks couldn't get their mind around. They couldn't fathom this, that a crucified man could be the hope of the world. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you take the Jews and you look at the Jews and they were always a people who were looking for miraculous signs, these signs and wonders, these things to happen. And, and, and they looked and they were like, there's no way that this crucified man could be the Messiah. They were always thinking, you know, this prophet, he has to be attested you know, by, by, by signs and wonders, by miracles. And yet, who could have done more miracles than Jesus? It shows the hardness of their heart. What greater miracle is there than dying and coming back to life? And it had been testified to by all of these different people. And yet the hardness of their heart would not let them receive this message. I wonder how many of us today, we, 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 we've even put our, fa- our finger in God's face and say, God, I simply don't believe it's you are who you say you are. And the hardness of our heart will not allow us to receive the good news of Jesus. And my prayer is today that the spirit of God would shatter your heart of stone, that the power of the spirit would begin to soften it, that you can receive the seed of his word and that it would grow in your life and produce fruit for the kingdom. Many times we're like these Jewish people. We want one more experience that'll change our life. We want this one more thing that somehow it's one moment that's just going to bam, everything's different and everything's changed. We want one more goosebump. We want one more thing, one more church service. And we go and we chase after all these things and we're chasing all of this stuff. And in the, the whole time we're missing the point. We're not supposed to be chasing the next experience. We're supposed to be chasing Jesus. And we think it's going to be some experience that that just transforms everything. And the reality of it is, it's not that just that moment. It's a moment of salvation, yes. But it's the journey that comes after that that changes everything. It's continue to walk in this message of the gospel. That somehow us who are sinful are able to relate to God. And be in a relationship with God. And be in the presence of God who is holy and perfect. And we walk our lives out. Hand in hand with the Lord, allowing him to lead, trusting him to guide. And it's not about doing some religious duty as it was with the Jews. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about having been reconciled through this message of foolishness. Jesus, the God man on a cross. 
We come to this place of recognizing we don't need to chase just another experience. Will our experience with Jesus be emotional? Absolutely. I'm sitting down here worshiping this morning, trying to fight back tears. I'm like, if anybody's looking at me, they're going to think I'm a nut. For some reason, the presence of God does that to me. Absolutely, it's emotional. But we need to pursue the God, not the emotion. We need to pursue Jesus who saved our lives and saved our souls. That should be the focus of our church is pressing in and crying out to him. God, change me, use me, fill me to do your work, to do the things you've called us to do. The others in this text are the Greeks. And he says that the Greeks look for wisdom. It's a stumbling block to them too. They look for wisdom. And here's the thing that I believe happens to so many of us is that our intelligence our knowledge is far greater than our intelligence. Like, like we pursue knowledge. We want to know all this stuff. We pursue philosophy and I'm all about apologetics. I'm all about all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what has God done in my heart. For many of us, we need to allow the great knowledge that we have to begin to seep down into our heart because knowledge and information without transformation falls short of God's intent and purposes for our relationship with Jesus. It's about God transforming our heart through his word. It's not just about knowing it. There can be no greater pain in the rear end than someone with a lot of biblical knowledge and no relationship with Jesus. Because so much knowledge without a relationship leads us only to religion. It does not change our lives. It doesn't lead us to love more, to show more mercy, to pursue justice. It leads us to sit and be comfortable and look down at everybody else who doesn't know as much as we do. And that's one of the problems that we see in the church. But I don't believe we're called to be that way. I believe we're called to proclaim this message that not only has changed our lives, but is changing our lives. As 1 John 4, 16 says that we know and we rely on the love of God. The word know means to experience. It doesn't just mean to have head knowledge. It means that we are experiencing God's love. We're knowing his love. We're in his love, walking in it. And then we rely on it and we're able to share it with other people. But God calls us not just to have some great philosophical debate, but to have a heart that's being changed and transformed by the gospel, by our experience and our relationship with Jesus. Verse 25 says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. They struggled that, that with this thought that that which was weak could become strength, that that which was weak could be their salvation. They couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that God had used this man who wasn't violent, who, who was very um, loving to go to the cross and die and somehow become their salvation. They couldn't wrap their minds around that. But I would tell you this, it is the wisdom of God. We see it in the gospel because it's the only way that it could work. The only way that God who is here could reconcile us who was here completely separated, completely um, uh, so far apart from God that we could never possibly be reunited with him on our own effort. The only way for us to be reconciled to him was for him to come to us. For God to put on flesh, to walk amongst us, to show us the reality of who God is and what he's like. And for God to come into this, this world in a way that, that he could take our place. And so 
Jesus, fully God, fully man, steps into the world. He lives a life that you and I couldn't live. He goes to die a death that we are the ones who deserve to die. And he takes our punishment on himself. And see, this is where Christianity is so different from every other mindset in the world. There's nothing in the world that is more countercultural to the world than the gospel. Because it tells us that it's not up to us and what we do, it's up to God and what he's done. And so we look at it and we think that somehow this has got to be foolish because it goes against everything we've seen, everything we've learned. It even goes against every other religious system in the world. I had to study some, uh, take a class in in college uh, for my master's degree. It was the major religions of the world. And I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Judaism. And we looked at all of these and I went into it a little bit concerned. I was like, what if I start reading about these other religions and I start thinking that they're right? But the more I studied them, the more I realized they couldn't possibly be right. Because every other religious system in the world tells us that we're here, God's here, do your best to get here to God. Climb the mountain up to God, get holy like God, and then maybe when you die, perhaps you'll be with God. And the reality of it is that the only way we ever get to God is because God came to us and he's taken us back to where he came from. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough good. You can't live a good enough life to make up for the fact that we're sinful and that God's not. And so God came and became sinful, took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to, made us righteous, not by what we've done, but by faith in Christ so that now you and I can know him. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the message we will proclaim. And it may sound foolish and it may be offensive and it's going to probably be persecuted in our, our, our culture, in our country quicker than we realize. But here's the reality. We're going to proclaim it. That's why God put us here is to proclaim this message that changes lives and changes hearts. And we're going to continue to do that. This is what the church was built on. People walk in today and you see it and you think, wow, this is, this is the way it's always been. It hasn't. You know what it used to be? It was us and a Bible. You know what it's still going to be? Us and a Bible. No matter what else we have, it's us and a Bible. If we don't do anything else, we will proclaim the good news of this gospel that seems to be a foolish message. It has the power to transform and save lives. Verse 26 says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Think about that. What's he telling us? He's saying, listen, not many of you were wise by human standards. You know what all these things he's saying right here does? It gives me hope. It gives me hope that God can use me. And there are people today who you don't think that God can use you. And one of the reasons you don't think that God can use you is because you don't know enough. But you know what? The moment you become saved, God has a desire to begin to use you. God has a desire to begin to use your life to transform the lives of others, to bring him glory. And as God transforms you, he'll begin to use you to transform the other people. It's not based on your intellectual standing. Thank God. I have a 10 year old who's smarter than I am. I mean, and I am not even kidding. You think, and no, that's not like saying he's very smart, right? But he's smarter than I am. And we have these conversations where I'll read the Bible. And one night, this wasn't very long ago, I was reading the Bible to him. And he said, daddy, how do you know that's true? Just believe it, son. I mean, wouldn't that be the easiest thing? Just, you just got to believe it. 
And so we started talking about it. And he's like, but how do you know this and this and this? And I was able to go back and I was able to tell him the reasons that the word is true, how we know it's historically accurate, how we know it's the word of God. I even went into how we know that the resurrection is a historical event because of the proofs that we know from scripture and from history. That the resurrection is true. And we were able to talk about that. And believe it or not, my 10-year-old is actually able to understand this. He's a very deep-thinking kid. He, 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 he really absorbs a lot of things. He's very smart. And he was able to, to hear it, and he was able to go, yeah. It's like, you get that? He goes, yes, sir, I do. And I said, but here's the thing, Dave. Here's the reality of it. You've got to know it in your heart. You've got to know right at the core of your being that this is true. There has to be something in you. It's called the Holy Spirit, the God, the Holy Spirit living in us that has enlightened our heart, has revealed to our heart that this is true, that Jesus is who he says he is. It is when the veil is removed from our eyes and from our heart and the Holy Spirit says, this Jesus is the one I sent to save your soul. And here's the thing I can tell you. There's no intellectual argument once you know in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is that can convince you otherwise. I used to think it was crazy when people would say, well, do you know that 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 you're saved? Whoa, slow down. I thought they were stuttering, right? Did you know, you know that you know? And I used to be like, there's no way you can know. And you know what happened? I met Jesus and I realized I can know. And I realized he put his spirit in me as a deposit, uh, as a deposit of what's to come, a foretaste of what's to come later. And I realized that God has done that in me. And you can know that you're saved. You can know that Jesus is who he says he is as God works in your heart. But it doesn't come just from intellectual. Yes, we need to study. Yes, we need to know. But the knowledge has to transform our heart. The revelation has to lead to transformation. If it doesn't, then we're falling short of what God desires. Press into God. Cry out to God. Cry out for the power of Jesus. As a church, we need to do this. We ought to be begging God every week. Jesus, save people. Jesus, bring people to you. Jesus, open their hearts so that they can receive the gospel. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, show up. Jesus, even if the sound system doesn't work, if you're there it's okay Jesus even if 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 Brandon isn't there people still come to know Christ because it's the preaching of the word not a man that leads people to himself even if the lights don't work God you show up even if I don't know you fill in the blank God you just be there you show up God we're coming expectant that you're going to be there that you're going to meet with us and we're going to encounter you Think about this. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He says, how many of you were influential? See, here's the reality. God is not nearly as worried about your position in the world as he is about your position in him. God will raise you up. He raised up a young shepherd boy named David to be the king of Israel, the smallest and the least likely of all the sons. And yet David, became the son of Jesse who ended up on the throne. If God can raise David up to a place of influence, he'll raise you up too and give you influence in people's lives to begin to minister to them and change their heart. God desires to use you. He says, not many of you were noble birth or of noble birth. Not many of you had the right start. Anybody in here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you would say, if I could go back and get a do-over with where I started, I probably would. Here's the good news of the gospel. How you began doesn't determine how you finish. How you began doesn't determine how you finish. Your position in Christ does. 
And I would tell you this, that that beginning that looked so rocky and that looked so bad and that caused so much pain and the things you've been through, God will most likely use that to be the greatest source of ministry in your life. God is the best ever at taking those lemons and making lemonade, at taking something that was bad, that was painful and using it for the good of his kingdom and for others. So we have to look at it and realize that how we began doesn't determine how we finish. He says, think about what some of you were when you were called. Have you ever done that? Some of us have been Christians so long that we really maybe have forgotten where we came from. Have you ever just sat down and thought back to where you were when Jesus called you? It'll make you just break out in worship, right? Wherever you're at, because you start thinking about who you were before you met Christ. And here's the reality. No one's met Christ who hasn't had a change in their life. It's what Jesus does. And we come to this place where we realize when I met Jesus, he changed my life. I think about who I was when I was called. I've still got a long way to go, but you know, the great thing about Jesus and the amazing thing about his grace is that I might not be perfect, but I'm better than I was. And he's still working on me and he's still changing my life. And the power of this message that the world says is foolish is still doing a great work in me. Listen, at this church, there's no perfect person. Basically what we are, a bunch of imperfect people that live transparently so that others may come and see the power of Jesus. But the reality of the gospel is also, he loves us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And he continually works to transform our hearts and to transform our lives. Consider where you were when he called you. Verse 27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, because of God, because of his faithfulness that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's basically saying there's no room for any of us to boast because God's done this whole thing. It wasn't up to our ability. It was up to his. He made a way. We didn't. He's saying you should celebrate that. The problem for a lot of people is that we don't, we think that we have to clean up before we come to God. We think we have to get it all together before God can use us. And what he's saying here is that he chose the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Basically what he's saying, if you feel despised, if you feel lowly, if you feel like you can't measure up, then it's probably a good indication that God desires to be in a relationship with you and that God desires to use your life to transform other people. And somehow we think we clean up and rather than coming to God and allowing God to clean us up. Somehow we think we get it all together and then we give God permission to use us. It's all God. We didn't get to where we are today because of our brilliance. We got to where we are today because we preach the foolishness of the gospel that transforms hearts and transforms lives through the power of God. There is one message that changes lives. It is the gospel message. There is one God who changes lives. His name is Jesus. Many of us have been in a place where we've tried religion, we tried church, we tried to go and we tried to do and we tried to be good enough. The problem for us is we don't know Christ. 
Many of us are stuck in habitual patterns where we do okay for a while and then all of a sudden we're back into whatever we thought it was and we tried really, really hard on our own trying to just, just through our own strength and through our own ability to try to make this stuff go away, to try to pray a little harder, to try to read a little more, to try to, to, try to uh, be a little stronger and the reality of it is for us that it's not going to change until we finally realize it won't be by our power or by our might but by the Spirit of God that begins to change our heart. We begin to cry out to God. I sat here this morning and heard the testimony of a sister who said that she had brought her sister to church at Christmas last year. It was the last time that her sister had been here. She brought her back today and she said, I've been praying for her forever. I've just been begging God, God, please do something in her heart. I've been asking God, please move in her life. And then today we gave it an invitation and she sits over there and she does one of these. If she hadn't been at the front, I would have never seen her. She just kind of went like this. I was like, is that, I don't know what that, are you pledging allegiance? I wasn't sure exactly what was happening, but you know, she got up and she went and she prayed to receive Christ, to accept his invitation. You know who followed her? Her husband. And I talked to him after the service and this, her sister was, was, was in tears because she's like, it finally happened. She got, finally got her. And we celebrated that moment. And I talked to the husband and the wife and, and he was like, listen, he's like, she had more courage than me. I, I couldn't seem to raise my hand. But when she raised her hand, I was like, I'm going to. And so they get up and go together. Hearts that were enlightened by the spirit of God who realize that it's the power of Jesus that changes lives. And we come to a place of recognizing that it's not that we get it all together before we come to him. And we just realize that the message is true, that the spirit enlightens our hearts and draws us in and we become alive through the power of Jesus. It's foolishness to the world, but for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Church, that's what we've been called to proclaim. I pray we would never become so professional that we squeeze out the spirit of God. I pray that we would never think we figure it out so much as we go into this vision and we can talk about God growing the church over 19,000% since 2009. And we can say all of these things and they're all great. And it's all a testimony to the goodness and the power of God. But we have to always remember that it's the gospel is Jesus that draws people to himself, that changes hearts and changes lives. And that we don't just fall back on what we know, but we do, we, we proclaim what we've been given and that's Jesus and we do what Paul says here that if we boast we boast in the Lord we boast in what Jesus is doing we boast in what Christ has done and we proclaim and when we begin to think of how he's changed our life how can we not boast in what the Lord has done in our hearts but it's not a boasting about ourselves it's a boasting about what he's done and this is the message that we stand on this is the message that we're about this is the message that we are heart and soul with it's a message that changed our lives. I can tell you this, if it weren't for this message of Jesus, if it wasn't for the power of God to save, you wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't be standing here today. In fact, I don't even know if I'd be alive today. I know I wouldn't have my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. And most likely I would have just like gone out for, uh, to the time saver and never came back. Right. Just like disappeared. People would still be wondering like, where is he? I'd probably be in the woods. somewhere, just dead. Right. That was like the path I was heading down. And yet God 
grabbed hold of me and changed my heart. He changed my life and he's still doing that through this great message today. It's the message we need to proclaim and I've already said it, but I want you to get it. We proclaim it here. We proclaim it at work. We proclaim it at school, in the classroom. We proclaim it wherever we go with the way we live and with the words we speak. This heart transforming power of the gospel. And this is what I want to do in this service. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray. And, and today, here's, here's where you're at. You've heard this message. You, you, you know, you've heard about Jesus. You, you, maybe you've heard about him all your life, but today's the first day you go, I need him. I need to know him. I need a relationship with him. I need to walk with him. I need my heart transformed by the gospel. I've never received him before, but today I need to receive Christ. While I'm praying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand in the air and say, I want to receive Christ. I need to know him today. I need to be in a relationship with him today. And I'm going to ask you that, that when, when I say amen and I finish this prayer, you have your hand in the air and we'll celebrate the fact that today you've received that invitation that the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to receive this great news about a God who loved us so much he came to us to take us where he came from if you know the Lord and you'd be praying that people would respond ask God to give him the courage to take this step of faith today you need to know him and you say I don't We want to welcome you into the family, but you got to take that step of faith to receive what he's offering. So I'm going to pray and you respond how God leads you to. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to know you, God. I pray you would speak to our hearts. God, this message is foolishness to the world, but God, it is saving our souls. And I pray, God, for those who do not know you, that they would respond to it today, that your spirit would move in them to respond. God, give them the courage to take this step of faith, God, and allow us to help them take their next. Lord, I pray for those in here today who just need a fresh um, experience of your spirit. I pray that they would receive that, God. I pray that they would walk in that. I pray we wouldn't become content just to settle where we are, God, but that that you would pour yourself into them, that you would, that we would begin to press into you more and just pursue you more, God, that our lives would be about this church, about this body, about these believers, not about something that we just attend once a week, but that you and this church and our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ would become our life. I just do a great work in us so you can do a great work through us. Lord, I ask you right now to speak to hearts. That those who need to know you today who've never come into a relationship with you today, God, that they would put their hand in the air and that we'd be able to celebrate with them a new birth in Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and the work that he does. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.